You're listening to episode 252 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So uh, the listeners won't be able to see this, but um, we use Zoom. That's our, our video chat of choice. And every single one of us is named Phil Casey right now. <laughs> in, in honor of said Phil Casey. Exactly. Our fallen course, brother, yes. Yes. Who is not here today. Uh, well, he's fallen, so of course he's not here today. <laughs> um, maybe uh, maybe the resurrection machine will get working and we'll have him back next week. My, my hope is that maybe, you know, the three of us, not K- and Kale's not here either, but he's fine. He didn't die. He's just lazy. Uh, the th- I'm thinking <laughs> the, the three of us, maybe we go on a little journey, right? We go into the multiverse and, you know, find an alternate timeline and we find a Phil who, you know, we like as much, but is maybe a little bit funnier, better timing, all those kinds of things. And we just kind of sub him in. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to be quippy. He needs to be, well, you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe we did. Is that not what Tyler is? Like Tyler, I feel like is, is very much. <laughs> Knows a lot more about comics too. You know, I <laughs> Wait, mean, you, apply, you, you think Tyler is the replacement for him? <laughs> I think, I think Tyler is the, the other multiversal Phil Casey. Were he funnier, quippier, and more charming? That feels like a dig uh, on Tyler, I think. You know, what? which I'm not here for. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Let's dig on Phil. I miss <laughs> you, bud. Oh, man. So I obviously missed last week. I was in Puerto Rico. Had a great time. Uh, we won't belabor that. The one thing I regret not doing is going to a comic book shop there. I did not do that. Uh, I should have, and I will make sure that I do so next time. It's it, if there's one that's like in a mall that's closest to San Juan, I think. Um, and they actually, if you go, they sell a lot of um, local indie creators Ooh. in Spanish. So I, I've I've actually that's picked cool. up. If you check the Instagram, I have to like like check the date. Um, but I've I've actually shared a few that are specific to local comic creators within uh, on the island. That's awesome. That's really I cool. wish I could have seen something like that. Unfortunately, I did run out of time when I when I had that thought. Uh, it just was too late to get to it. But uh, again, gives me a reason to go back. So uh, I'm super energized, super excited to talk to you guys this week about all the major things that happened in the industry. This was actually a huge week following up on a huge week from last week. So we've got a lot of things to talk about before we get into yeah. all that. I do want to let you guys know how you can support the show. Make sure that you guys are leaving us a follow, a rating, and a review wherever it is you're listening to us right now. If that happens to be YouTube, subscribe for free, like the video, share it with your friends. All those things are free and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And we really appreciate those things. You guys recently got us to over 400 subscribers on YouTube. We are super appreciative of that. I'm saying this because what that means now is that we are on the road to 500 subscribers. And I think that it would be really cool if we got to 500 subscribers around the time of the Comics Pals birthday. Oh, it's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah. Uh, That's in October, I think. Uh, Or November. October, you got it. Yeah, it's October. Yeah, it's October. Okay. So if you guys get us to 500 
by our birthday in October, that would be great. And the way to do that is, of course, if you haven't subbed, just go and hit that button. And really just to let your friends know, like, hey, these guys are great. You'll like them. Go subscribe. It's free. doesn't cost you anything to help us out. So we would appreciate it. Uh, write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com if you want to share your thoughts. Or on Twitter, of course, as well, at thecomicspals. We had some some uh, a couple of uh, interactions based on the what if tweet from the week before. So we're going to get into that as well. Quick reminder for you guys. We review what if uh, every single week. And we also put out comic book reviews every week. If you want our thoughts about the books of the week, you've got to check out our shows that we're putting out. One for Image, one for everything else. Wednesday for Image, Thursday for everything else. Come and support and check that stuff out. And then last but not least, this month we are dropping the Maximum Carnage Book Club. Yes, we are doing that despite the fact that Venom Let There Be Carnage has been delayed. Of course, we are saddened by that fact. What can we do? Uh... With these Complain. movies these days, who knows? It's Bullshit. Yeah. Fucking up my schedule. And right. <laughs> uh, I, I did look back in the Instagram. So if you go all the way back to December 6th, 2019, um, you can see where I visited Metro Comics on the like, sort of outskirts of Puerto Rico, of sorry, San Juan. And then uh, I got a few creator-owned books there, Ecos by uh, Cruz and Rodriguez. I'm forgetting uh, the immediate creators, but they are tagged. Uh, and then a book called Do Anything, which is a comic critic critique uh, book by Warren Ellis. And uh, he actually, in it, he has dialogues with the robotic head of Jack Kirby. And that is how he examines comic books via <laughs> this head. It's it's buck wild. That's, that sounds really cool. It's crazy. It, it's like it's like 10 bucks on Amazon if you want to get it. I happen to find it there in print and I just uh, picked it up. Nice. Let's let's jump into the listener comments. We like I said, we've got a packed show. We're gonna be talking about the Webtoon partnership with DC, which is major news. I can't believe that happened this week. Uh, we've got new protocols for all read pop events, which includes New York Comic Con. Uh, we're gonna t- be talking about why comic book creators are broke, uh, and Jonathan Hickman done with X Men for now. <sighs> So we've got a lot to get into, but before we do, show. let's hit the uh, YouTube comments. Pete, take it away. All right. So this first one comes from Grayson Red on episode 251. That was, of course, last week's show where we talked all about the Substack controversy. Uh, and this comment is uh, in relation to that. <laughs> they said, so they got Donnie Cates. Yep. Uh, is this just going to be a segment on the show now every week of like, here's the latest creator to join Substack? <laughs> I feel like every nope. week that's that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, listen, Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman, uh, that's not a surprise on any level. I feel like the Substack thing is perfect for Kids Love Chains, which is their imprint. Uh, it, it just sure. makes a lot of sense. And all those books are coming to Image anyway. So who cares? If you don't want it, don't do it. The, yeah. the big surprise this week was Mike Huddleston also announced Substack. Yes, yeah. There, again, like you, like you're saying, there's there there are going to be Substack announcements basically every week. Yeah, at this point, uh, as we go forward, and like it's cool, I guess. Like, go do it up. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked all about it last week, so go go listen to that episode if you want to hear our full breakdown of the debate. But yeah, I think it's just one of those things that like it's good for comic book creators, you know. 
um, whatever day. puts more money in their pocket, uh, more ability to earn money in their pocket. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so this one comes from Joseph Paloma on the Suicide, uh, Suicide Squad book club uh, that we did um, the end of last month. So it was uh, that was the Tom Taylor run. Um, <clears throat> I thought this was a funny comment. Joseph wrote in and said, I don't think it's a good comic, but I love watching your critique and I respect your opinions. Keep up the good work. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. I, I saw this and I said, I, you know, I'll tip my hat to this. I, I respect that. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with us. Um, but if you like the content and you do agree with us, that's awesome. Even if better. not, yeah, hey man. No, but I I gotta say I love that. I love the idea that you're like I didn't like this book, but I enjoyed listening to you talk about the book. That's yeah. nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and and that's like that's the that's what you hope for. That's the you know, dream. That's the point of this. The point of this is not you know for us to tell you what you're supposed to like. The point of this is to have the conversation. You know, and if you come away from it not agreeing with us, well then hopefully you like the way we talked about it. So appreciate you. Thanks for writing in, Joe. All right. So this one comes from Kilgore Trout, regular, regular writer into the show. I think probably the first person to listen to our reviews every single week. Kilgore is coming in with a comment within like the first hour of them being posted every time. We got to do something for him. We got to we got to. This dude is a loyalist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kilgore. Big, big shout out to you. Uh, so this one came on our uh, image reviews last week. We reviewed Second Chances, um, and uh, Kilgore wrote in and said, Second Chances was like watching uh, Reprisal. Everything in that show looked like it was in the 50s, and then all of a sudden people start using cell phones, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that was very much the vibe. Um, I remember thinking, I was like, yeah, this has like a kind of like, you know, like 40s or earlier kind of noir setting, and then somebody in crazy robot armor just jumped out of nowhere yeah <laughs> it's like all right okay <laughs> good combination of uh of genres there like that I, I live for that stuff like you bring in something that looks and somehow insinuates japanese culture into a new noir story all right got me yeah it was like noir meets cyberpunk meets japan and i'm yeah. like yeah okay you know what pretty fucking cool it's the space i live in uh keep it up yeah thanks for writing in kilgore uh, this one comes from uh, Chris. Again. Is it? Yeah. 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 Episode one. What if? Oh, okay. Um, oh, oh, you know what? Yeah, I totally jumped ahead. That's my bad. You know what? Okay. So there's another one from Kilgore on what if episode one review who wrote in and said, I love the art style. I've been excited for this yes. series ever since the trailer released. And yet I was surprised by how good it was. I'm I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the art style. I feel like that's been the most divisive piece of yeah. what if on, on this show at least um phil is very much not a fan and i i think the what they do with the the spaces where you can see they've applied budget i think come out super fluid really really dynamic um and even in like the slower moments i think the the art style it, it's fun it, it's it's a it's a fun cartoony like not necessarily a comic booky but it feels like a cartoonist could be drawing this on you know as cover art as uh, some sort of uh, variant cover, and, and I think it fits the the style. Yeah, um, I'm gonna share my thoughts on the second episode of Yes, uh, please. Of what if uh, a little bit later? Um, but I'm glad that the art style is working for you. I'm still not fully sold myself. Hmm. Um, I don't think it's bad. I think it's it's a bridge too far to say it's bad. Yeah, but, 
that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, I don't love it, but I definitely agree with what Marco said in that I think the moments where it shines, like, it does look good. Um, and I don't think any of that's in the trailers. So, like, you know, you mm-hmm. mentioned, like, Phil doesn't like it. And every time Phil's made a comment about it, I'm like, how about you actually try watching the show? Because <laughs> watching the trailer is not the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Kilgore. Uh, and this one was a Twitter comment. This one came from uh, Chris Router, who wrote in on the what if uh, random question that we did last week. Um, <clears throat> and he said, what if Loki turned Nick Fury with his scepter instead of Agent Barton? I love this because great question. This is this is what would happen if villains didn't have to be dumb. Nick Fury is clearly the leader. He's clearly the guy that you would instantly say, okay, I got to take this guy. You know, this is the guy I need. And if that happens, then the, then, then like earth gets subjugated. Yeah. Because then there's no Avengers. Yeah. They never team up. They fight the, they try to fight separately and they lose and die. And that's it. hundred percent. Yep. I love it. Yeah, that was that was exact. Like when I read this, I was like, "Oh fuck!" I was like, "Oh, we lose." That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shit yes. goes south. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you all who wrote in. We really appreciate it. And again, if you guys want to write in, there are so many different ways to do it. Wherever you're listening, there's a way. So just you know, uh, get to typing, and uh, we will absolutely read your comments on the air. Let's jump into the pals polls. This week we have uh, Marco choosing Wolverine fifteen. This has been one of the other, uh, I guess, X books, but it's not really tied into what's going going on in the any of the main titles um, or the larger titles. But I think the writing is really strong. I think the art's really strong, and I've been having a really good time with it. I think ever since um, the either the Hellfire Gala or no no Ten of Ten of Swords um crossed over like since that point i think issue nine i've been reading it and it's been really really solid a lot of fun nice i've been meaning to catch up with this one same Mm -hmm. yeah i'm an issue behind um but they are they're like dealing with vampire stuff uh, again so the from the first issue that's like carried through and this is kind of the 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 where they deal with all of it cool i see uh marco and pete both shows made in korea number four yeah good stuff um (laughs) yeah we're gonna be reviewing that on wednesday um i've already read it there's really no way for me to talk about it uh in a way that's not at least somewhat of a spoiler um so i'll just say uh i liked it and this book is really good i'm really enjoying it go listen to our review on wednesday (laughs) awesome and then pete and i both show spider-man life story annual number one yeah, so I really enjoyed Life Story. Um, I've made no bones about the fact that I really enjoyed Chip Zdarsky's take on on Spider Man. Um, this is uh, seemingly, anyway, from the the pre uh, material. It's it's um, all about uh, Jay Jonah, and everybody knows how much Chip loves Jolly Jonah. So um, yeah, I I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it'll be something good. When Life Story resolved, uh, Chip said that he had more in the chamber for that world and he teased a jonah story right uh and we're finally getting that so and it's the original team which is great yep i'm into it so uh let's jump into the news and we're starting with the major major announcement that dc has teamed with webtoon 
to uh, bring DC characters into you know the Webtoon ecosystem. Uh, so Webtoon is, of course, a digital uh, platform for web comics where you can read them. Um, and it's like it's I I never used it, but I assume it's you know properly adjusted for screens and mobile mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and they're going to be teaming up again. Like we've talked about, uh, you know, the way that you consume comics digitally and how that can be tough. I notoriously do not like reading comics digitally. Um, part of that is because of the way that it, it, it can be improperly formatted. It sounds like Webtoon's a great place for that. Now, DC is staking their claim on the platform. Uh, so they're saying that they're going to be able to provide unique explorations of the DC universe. Um, but moreover, they're saying, DC is saying that these will be stories that you can enjoy and that will appeal to all fans without the need to know or read any previous stories. So what that tells me is that this is very continuity light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently there are 75 million users of Webtoon. 75 million and one. I just downloaded it, bitch. Nice. (laughs) It's a huge platform, huge platform. It it mostly caters to manga. So this is kind of like the, where they're kind of entering the market from that perspective. Mm. Um, But it's so big where they have uh, multiple like Netflix series based off of Webtoons. Uh, Sweet Home Notoriously is one that's excellent. Um, there's a lot of Korean dramas and random watches that are picked up by either Netflix or Viki, which is um, one of the the platforms there on, by like Rakuten. And um, yeah, this is a huge, huge smart play. Um, to answer your, your your question on like the way it's optimized, Sean, it's all sort of um, you scroll. So it's a continuous like infinite scroll and uh, basically each panel or each scene happens within a screen's worth of real estate. So you'll have everything. Um, usually they'll have maybe like some black bars that's integrated into the actual flow of the whole thing, but uh, you'll have a single scene scroll to the next scene. And that's how you have dialogue. That's so you have certain action and stuff. Um, it's pretty seamless. And I think if you've, if you've read, if you read like, um, certain comic strips in that format. I think it, it works sort of, there's parallels there. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I have it. I read a few series uh, I haven't been keeping up with, but uh, it's since grown to such popularity where there's like a subscription service for it now. And you actually have wow. to pay for certain, for certain um, uh, series. So like Sweet Home, for example, you have to pay to, in order to actually read that series because of how much it's grown. Interesting. Okay. So is the default that like most things are free? The default is most things are free, mostly smaller stuff. Okay. Um, and then like the big popular series, you can work, I think, off of the subscription. And then if you want, you do individual pay per chapter. Okay. I'm really interested in how DC is going to present their books on this platform yeah. from a financial perspective. Um, them being freely available, I would be I would be surprised by that. Yeah, it. I think I think they'll have to figure out how they want to cost all of it. Because the other thing is, if this is on Webtoons, how do you then sell it digitally on other platforms like Comixology? How do you like? Where do you lose that revenue stream and make up for it by entering a larger market? Is that is that like a thing? Like, if it's on Webtoons, are you not allowed to publish it elsewhere? Or? 
Uh, I can't divulge that information. There's nothing in the article that I read that suggests that these stories will be exclusive forever. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll print it, um, but because it's off the platform of like a separate company um, and it has its own platform base, and I've had internal discussions with this and it's a thing that people are concerned about. Okay. Yeah, I, I know you have some restrictions about what you're able yeah. to say um, for for work reasons. We'll give that disclaimer. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because like, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot. There's a lot that's kind of up in the air here, right? In terms of like what it's actually going to cost, what what does release look like? Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I think similar to the, the conversation we had about um, Substack last week, I don't see any reason why that would be a problem, you know, mm -hmm. like if sure. if because, you know, we've talked about this a lot, right? Like the whole digital versus physical thing. There's not a ton of crossover between those those types of readers from the data that we've seen anyway, up until this point. Who's to say maybe that's different now in 2021 after a year of the pandemic. Um, but the idea that <clears throat> DC could leverage Webtoons, which is this you know, large and, and growing community and way to engage with comics as kind of a way to, um, you know, exist in a different market space and then potentially collect those stories and, and then sell them to a more traditional reader um, in comic book shops or, or on comiXology or what have you. Um, I don't, I don't know, like why, I, I don't see any reason why that would not work or why that would not make sense. N not to say that it definitely makes sense, right? I'm not a business person, but um, I can't see why you wouldn't do that. And then in my mind, all you're doing is trying to make sure that you're everywhere that comics readers are, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're presenting um, a way to engage with your characters and your, you know, your IP um, wherever they want to, wherever they can. You know, so Daniel Cherry, the third, who was the general manager at DC, said DC is excited to introduce our iconic characters to a new generation of fans worldwide. We've been working closely with the Webtoon writers and artists to adapt our characters and stories to Webtoon's mobile format. Our shared goal is to create fun and compelling DC stories that all readers will enjoy. This partnership is yet another example of DC's ambition to meet fans where they are and continue sharing DC fandom. Yeah. That's major because it, yeah. it implies to me that webtoons, that, that these characters are going to be released almost into the wild and not written by, you know, DC stable of creators for webtoon. These will be produced by webtoon creators yeah, and for webtoon, and a few of these right. people have like large audiences because of whatever works they create. Um, so I think that's a really strong play. I think it makes a lot more sense than bringing in, you know, a creator who hasn't made, who hasn't worked in manga or hasn't uh, been within the sphere of webtoon to be able to to leverage the fact that there are creators on the platform that they are now like partnered with webtoon sure. um, to be able to to tell those stories. It it adds incentive, right? We're like, you know, we'll follow a series because of a certain creator. It's the same sort of logic. Like, oh, we'll follow a, this new Batman story because right. potentially this person that I follow is going to make it good.
And, and I think it's also the attitude of you made the point of right, like having to have a creator who doesn't make comics this way, then come and adapt their style. And that doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. Like, right. you know, um, there are already a lot of really talented creators that are making web comics and are used to that format. And that's the format in which they thrive. Um, so why not give them the keys to some of these, these characters and these, these IP that, um, you know, are, are world renowned, right. To make them successful on this platform for this audience, you know, cause there's an expectation of what a webtoons comic is like. Yeah. Yep. So, we don't know much more than what we've discussed here. We're going to hear more details as time rolls on. Um, but I don't think that I, I think that, you know, the conversation about this, regardless of what the details are, is this is great for DC. This is a huge forward thinking move that puts them ahead of Marvel uh, in a space that is 75 million and growing. There are not 75 million people at least as far as I'm aware, reading Western comics in general. Right. So <laughs> if a fraction of those people say, hey, I want to check out what DC's doing here on this platform, that's major. If they get turned into, you know, weekly comics readers of in physical or digital uh, Western comics I'm talking about, then that is great for the industry. So kudos to DC. Happy to see this move. Hopefully it pans out. I'm just saying real quick, uh, this platform's garbage. I signed up for it. I clicked the verification email. I tried to log in and it's telling me that my account hasn't been registered yet. So um, you know what? I'm out. Webtoon, you've lost me. And you know what? It's also easy to turn people off to conventions these days. Now, uh, conventions are, of course, returning. Uh, we've already had some, as we speak today, Astronomicon is going on. Uh, shout mm. out to the Source Point Press people over there. They're having a great show, hopefully. Um, but many people are choosing not to attend conventions due to COVID-19, of course, um, and their fear of you know what the rules are going to be and the regulations and how safe they will be. Well, at least Read Pop is going the extra mile to ensure a safe event. Uh, we have now been told what the safety protocols will be for all Read Pop's upcoming events. Now, ECC, C2E2, they have their policy, uh, which basically is going to be um, you have to be fully vaccinated now with proof. Uh, proof that would be acceptable by the FDA or the WHO. If you still want to go to either of those events, you can do so with by presenting a negative COVID test within 72 hours, uh, or that's a PCR, and then a negative antigen test from within six hours. Damn. So that's, you know, you can still get in, but you've got to present a negative test. Uh, for New York Comic Con, we have it's a little bit different. Uh, so now they're going to be requiring that everyone over 12 be fully vaccinated against COVID. And you have to show proof. And if you're younger than 12, you can go as long as you can present a negative test. And you obviously have to have your guardian with you, which if you're younger than 12 goes without saying. Yeah, that was already the rules, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. 
so the the Florida con will have uh, less restrictions, of course, because it's Florida. Um, now, of course, we have tentative plans to attend New York Comic Con. Uh, certain we'll see. scenes have to go a certain <laughs> way. Plus, we have to feel comfortable. But with this new uh, information in place, does this make you feel more comfortable about attending? Yes, but not comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like... Obviously, like, you know, I, I bought tickets. We're in the process of, of figuring out, you know, our, our passes and all that kind of stuff and everything. So, like, I, you know, I have I have at least some intention of going. Um, but I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't have concerns, you know. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, I don't I don't want to get too real or anything. But, like, you know, the Delta variant is something that is obviously really concerning right now. And, you know, while the vast majority of folks who are are getting hit by it are those who are unvaccinated. Um, you know, there, there are some of those, I think they believe they call them breakthrough cases where even if you are vaccinated, um, you can still get the virus. You can still die from it. Um, very, very small percentage of folks have, but you know, um, do I want to risk my life to go to a comic con? I don't know, you know? Um, and it's, it's hard not to have that question in your mind. You know, it's like, does this make me feel better? Does this make me feel more secure? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm glad that they're taking these precautions. I think that this is the bare minimum that events need to do to, to ensure that they're, you know, um, at least attempting to be safe, right? Like, this could still go sideways. Hopefully it won't, you know? Um, I went to a, a sh like a, a, my first concert uh, last week and it was a very similar kind of situation. And, you know, that was like, maybe a hundred people in a room versus this, which is going to be thousands of people in a convention center. International too. Right. And coming from, and even not international, just coming from all over the country, you know? Sure. Um, and I know that, you know, there's been talks about there are like services that sell fake vaccination cards and all this shit. And it's like, you know, I don't know, like it, it's hard not to feel concerned about it. It's hard not to think that like, maybe we just shouldn't do this. Um, but in the same breath, like I miss it a lot. I really miss conventions. I miss, um, seeing you guys. I miss seeing the creators that we're, that we're friendly with. I miss getting to meet, you know, um, creators who I really admire and getting to pick their brains and all those things. Like I love Comic-Con. I've gone to New York Comic-Con every year since I was 19 and I, it sucked not going last year. I missed it a lot and it was sad. Um, but in the same breath, I can't help but think like, you know, is it worth it if one of us gets sick? You know, like I don't know. It's 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 weird. It's a it's uh it, it's a weird situation to be in to want to go so bad, but to be afraid to go. I think also it there there are ways to minimize the way that you will be potentially a spreader because I think as much as you are there, right? I think that's you know ultimately you. You may well get it, but I think the other concern is how do you prevent other people from getting it around you? Um, I'm I'm definitely letting Mike, my, my family know, hey, like you know these X two weekends, like I'm just not going to be around. Um, I I I think I would like to go in via car versus train. Um, it just makes a bit more sense uh, to drive into the city now. That I have one. Um, we can you know carry all our gear. It, it it makes life a little bit more convenient, easy, and a bit safer. Um, and I think that's where I live is how do I 
how do I minimize risk to whatever degree, um, whatever steps that I can take to minimize my risk and my potential for spreading, um, should I be infected is, uh, another concern, right? Cause it's not just as much as it's just, you know, you watching out for yourself. I think there's a, 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 a this has a cost on society potentially, and especially in New York where, you know, the trains are going to be packed. Um, it always is every year P- people are riding the trains more now. So, so people are getting more comfortable just going out in general. Um, and I think that there, uh, there is a, a responsibility there from, from, uh, attendees. Um, but yeah, similar to Pete, uh, I mean, I, I do, I do want to go back. I want to see these people. Um, I, I want to experience the experience. Um, cause it's been, uh, a long ass year. It's chalking up to be a very, another long ass year. And, um, I think, I think the, the, the ability to be around people who also enjoy the things that you like is cathartic. Um, and I think that that's what I miss the most is, you know, I'm, I'm able to just show with you guys and we'll geek out about shit and we'll be like, Oh my God, look, did you talk to this person? And it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, this just like, like the, the moments that get lost in between. Um, and how do you value the moments that you choose not to have? Um, this is a moment where maybe I don't immediately want to not have, um, and so I'm, I'm willing to, I, I, the, the risk tolerance there, I think is, uh, a bit higher and, you know, that's dependent on whoever attends. It's just, it's that sliding scale of where do you sit? And if you're not comfortable, I think the recommendation would be just don't go. Um, you know, if, if, if you feel like you're worried about it, uh, if you feel like, you know, you, you shouldn't travel for whatever reason, I think err on that end. Um, cause you know, the attendees are already making somewhat of a mistake. So. So for me, my life has pretty much resumed from COVID days in the sense that, you know, once I got vaccinated, it was kind of like, all right, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to live. We're licking and- the handrails, baby. <laughs> um, you know, New I, Yorkers I got, are crazy. <laughs> I just came back from Puerto Rico. Clearly, you know, I'm open to maneuvering. Uh, I have to take the train for life reasons. You know, I don't have a car. So like I have to take the train. So I'm exposed to all this stuff. So I feel like um, for me, New York Comic Con is a full go. If I'm able to go physically, if I'm able to, you know, if, if everything lines up, I will absolutely be there because I just need to. And that's it. Um, but I definitely get why there would be hesitation and there should be hesitation this is not a decision to be made lightly um this will turn off a lot of people this will turn off a lot of people who intended to go to comic-con but don't want to get vaccinated um there's no other way to go to new york comic-con this isn't like the other three events that we just talked about new york comic-con specifically requires you to have a vaccination and i'm telling you this if they didn't include that this event would get shut down. Yep. Yeah. Positive. Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Definitely. So, and, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, you know, again, like I don't want to step on anybody's feelings, but good. Get vaccinated, bro. Vaccines save lives. All right. Like, I get it. I get the trepidation. But if Sean can get over his fear of needles, 
Go get stuck, man. Go get stuck. <laughs> and I'll do it again for the for the for the booster. I don't even care. I'm I'm trying to live, bro. Right? When they said that they're like, oh, Pfizer's like potentially recommend. I'm like, yo, give me eight. Like fucking stick me through them. Like I'm like, let's go. Like I want to be pinhead just with needles all over my fucking body. <laughs> if that's what it takes. Uh, and and you know what? If you tried to get a Comic Con ticket and you were unable to, I would check back. I would check that resale because I guarantee you there are a lot of people selling their tickets off who are unhappy with this. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the decision is for your safety um, and it's for the safety of everybody else. And, you know, you're free to not get vaccinated, but you're not free to go to New York Comic Con. Yeah. So, I'm just you, saying the comics. A, oh, no, go ahead. I was going to make a dumbass joke, Marco. I'm, I was also going to make a dumbass joke. So. OK, you know, what? I'll make mine first. And then you go and we'll compare. All right, all right. I was just going to say the comics fan, you know, the fandom. It's already too small. All right, we can't just have us all going to a super spreader event and dying out. The comics industry is going to run out of customers. All right, we got to play it safe here. So you have the choice to get a vaccine, uh, but you also have the choice to fuck off. And so, <laughs> wow, <laughs> harsh. All right, well, um, because of the way that it glides us effortlessly into our next topic, I'm going to say that Pete's joke was better. Oh. Because, uh, as Pete mentioned, you know, the industry is small and apparently it's so small you can't make money in it. Uh, Vice put out uh, an article. This was from Motherboard, which is Vice's tech, um, you know, section of their website. They put out an article that's pretty damning uh, titled, It's Impossible to Make Money for Most Writers and Artists in Comics. Marvel and DC use their characters to tell stories about justice, heroism, and writing historical wrongs, but their creators are left to flounder. So this is a, you know, it's a pretty long article. It's definitely a, a piece worth reading. I'm going to hit the highlights here. Uh, so they bring up the Substack conversation. This is definitely uh, coming in light of Substack and the creators who have made the decision to jump over there. Um, and they're framing the reasoning uh, as by and large financial, which I think it is. I don't, I, I think when you, when you look at the financial freedom or the creative freedom coupled with the financial incentive that comes yeah. from Substack for creators who are offered the opportunity, it's a no brainer, right? Yeah. Um, right. But uh, Spike Trotman, who is the uh, founder of, of Iron Circus, we've spoken about Spike in the past. Uh, they said, every once in a while, an outfit will show up with just millions burning holes in their pockets, and they will absolutely be the coolest kid in the room for two, three years. They will pay huge amounts to fan favorites to produce work. More often than they don't, they reach the bottom of the war chest, and they kind of drop out of sight. They sink beneath the waves. I'm not going to say that's what's going to happen at Substack. I don't know their financial situation, but it's not an unfamiliar phenomenon. The reason why I read that is because I think it paints a pretty good picture of what we're dealing with. First of all, there's the unspoken in what Spike just said. The unspoken is that Substack is not for everyone. Spike specifically called out fan favorites, right? Yeah. So you have your Snyders, you have your Tinians, you have your uh, uh, Donny Cates and Stegmans. And then once you get past the A list of, of, of names, who, by the way, don't need Substack. To make money, right? Like they're making money in comics, regardless, relative to the money that is in comics. Sure. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So compared to, um, I don't know. Let's uh, who, who can we throw out? Uh, let's say Declan Shalvey, who I who I think is a big name, right? But let's just use him as a baseline. Compared to Declan Shalvey, Scott Snyder does not need Substack, right? He's making way more money off of DC Image Best Jacket than Declan is. But guess who gets the opportunity, right? So then you talk about the fact that you know these creators are making money say they've been making the same money that they've been making for years and in some cases creators are making less money now than they were making years ago based on a pay rate pay, page rate uh, survey conducted by fair fair page rates where they surveyed 123 creators in 2015 so the average page rate was $81.43 for writers and $372 for the uh, primary penciler. For DC, it was similar, $111 for writers, $352 for the uh, line art. And is, for the, is the line art, is that per page? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so then in 2017, for writers, it was $60. So that's $20 less and then for line art, it was $173. Which Yikes. is a lot that's less. Like half. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a that's $200 reduction. Yeah. That's insane. So that's awful. That's really, really, really bad. And I think it's it's worse when you understand this fact. So uh they there was another um uh survey where they looked at uh, what um, they looked at uh, what art was that they looked at what artists were getting paid. It was $170 per page. That is about $21 an, an hour. When you consider that these artists work for six to eight hours a day on a mm. given page, that's not, that doesn't sound terrible, but it's work for hire. Right. That's yeah. the thing you is like, that's already not, I mean, it's not, it's not, terrible but it's not good money right like that's like stable money it's fine but like if you're living in like a city or something that's like a a more expensive area that's not a ton of money and then to your point your work for hire so you have no fucking health insurance or or benefits or or security or anything so like that would be okay if you're getting paid more and that's the trade-off but you're making a middling amount of money with no benefits at all and no promise of anything beyond whatever the last paycheck you get signed is. That's rough. That's rough. Absolutely. Um, And we can sit here and pontificate as to why that is. I think we all have our ideas. Sure. Um, Are Marvel and DC incapable of paying more? No. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because we understand that DC has been on the ropes. Sure. Mm-hmm. They've bounced yeah. back. This last year has been decent. But we know they were on the ropes. We know why these page rates are lower. And we know that writers left. They flew away. They dipped because the page rates were so low mm-hmm. in DC Comics. And Marvel's dealing with similar stuff. 
and uh, there was a, a bit here that um, uh, Gita Jackson was the, the writer uh, of the article, and she, she wrote this. She said, these low rates uh, mean that the production of comics art for even major companies is in many cases essentially subsidized by the artist's relatively lucrative sales of their original physical art, right? Which we all know that that's a huge way that, that artists make money. Do writers have that same ability? No. And where have conventions been the last two years? Gone or reduced capacity like that's rough man like that is rough and go ahead marco sorry and uh, i think one of the things that people have done a lot i think to supplement is you know commission work etc and but that cuts into your paid work which you know are you are you trying to get the at this moment right now consistent pay of 21 dollars an hour versus maybe i'm going to sell this thing for like 100 bucks and how do I? How do you balance that time then from within that to be able to supplement just a living? Right. Yeah. And if you're a writer, you don't have that option. You can't do commissions. There's really nothing you can do. The only benefit of being a writer, which a lot of artists have called out recently, is the fact that you can work on multiple projects at once. Artists right. cannot do that. Yeah. Six to eight hours a day is the average workday for any job you have pretty much. And you're dedicating that fully to generally one page as an artist per day. That's that's intense. You can't do anything more. So we do have a significant problem in the industry. And it's not a surprise why people are flocking to Substack. My question is, is working in comics even something that you should aspire to do uh, if you aren't Scott Snyder or James Tinian or whoever, obviously they didn't know that they would be able to be who they are now Mm -hmm. when they first started their foray into books. But Scott Snyder was already a teacher. You know, he already had a gig uh, outside of this industry. A lot of people do that. A lot of a lot of your favorite creators have jobs you do not know about. Right. Right. And and that's the thing is, I know we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um and it wasn't spurred by this, but I remember this tweet was one of the things we referenced was um, uh, Jeremy Holt, who's the writer of Made in Korea, you know, had tweeted about how they have a day job and they don't think that they'll ever not have a day job and that like they don't know that they'll ever be able to pivot into full time writer, full time creator. Um, and I, I bring that up for a few reasons, because the, the point that you just made, Sean, about writers being able to work on multiple projects at a time. That's definitely true, but if you have to work a day job, how many hours do you have to write exactly. uh, at the end of the day? And not for nothing, too, right? Like, um, and I don't, I don't, don't take this as weighted or anything like this. I'm not saying this against uh, physical artists, but writers too. Like, writing is also, you know, sometimes a little more nebulous. Like, you know, like certain creators are very regimented in the way that they write. Like, I know Robert Kirkman talked about that when he was working a day job and everything. He would wake up at like five in the morning and write for four hours and then go to work and, you know, whatever. And like some folks can do that. Some folks are capable of that. Not everybody is. Not everybody's capable of being like, I'm going to work 40 to 50 hours a week and then also write two to three scripts, you know, uh, a week or whatever or something like that. Like it, it's possible, but it's not sustainable for most people i'd also like to point out so to be fair we don't know what the page rates are today right now although there was a fascinating thread by mark miller um uh, a little while ago it was a couple of months ago maybe a month ago where he discussed 
um, how he had asked privately some of his friends behind the scenes, like, what are you getting paid at Marvel in DC? That's right. Yeah. And he heard that the rates really hadn't changed much uh, since he was in that grind. And I say that to say, when you look at the, pr- the price of a comic now at Marvel in DC, and you're talking about Joker costs $6, and you're talking about a lot more books are $4.99 than they are $3.99. Um, Where's that money or going? Or at least that's the trend. Where's that money going? Why is it not going into the hands of the artist? We cannot keep raising the price of comics. That cannot continue to happen. Also, there is yeah, not for nothing, right? Like, the cost of living has gone up. Of course. In the last five years since this survey. Like, yeah. we're going through a housing crisis right now. Comic books cannot cost more than they do. I firmly believe that. You cannot get to the point yeah. where the average comic book costs $6. Nope. That's it. That's 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 it. There's nowhere else to go. If that's what's going to happen, we can't buy, we can't support and sustain a weekly comics industry. It would have to pivot to graphic novels. But it doesn't matter if creators aren't getting paid. What the hell is going to happen when you're an artist and you have to work for six months to produce a graphic novel for Marvel or DC or whatever, and you're getting paid a flat rate that sucks that you then have to ca- that has to carry you for all that time. How's that going to work out? It's yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I, you know, I, I think, I, I think this situation is unsustainable, you know, like, I mean, at least if you want to maximize the health of, of the medium, you know, in the industry, because like if we get to a point where the only people who can afford to create comics are people who are already rock stars, you know, uh, people who have the privilege of having like family money or a partner who's a doctor or a lawyer or something and can subsidize the fact that they make piss poor money. Um, that's a bad place for a creative medium that you're pricing out people who want to be in it, not even just to to read and engage with the art, let alone forget about that, right? That's already a problem. But even the talent, right? That some of the brightest, you know, up and coming stars uh, might walk away and do something else because there's no fucking money in it. And that like the like if you have a space where the only people who can survive are the lucky, the privileged or those who are willing to grind themselves into fucking dust to get a book out, that's not that's not good. That's not sustainable. You're right. I say though, I don't know what you do about it and I don't know how this situation gets solved. Maybe comics just really isn't the place to be if you're trying to tell stories it's a sad reality this is this i love this industry more than anything um and you know i i would love to work in it i don't know how to make that sustainable um unless you you end up becoming you know the next big thing or you're someone like a dirk manning who grinds your ass off that man is at astronomicon right now i mean his wares i i think i think and you know this is the last point i'll make on it because it's it's a tired point at this point but comics creators need to unionize because that's the thing is like i i I definitely think that there's uh a lot of validity to what you're saying sean in terms of that like 
we don't know the realities of some of the financials, right? And that like there are a lot of things behind the scenes that like we just don't have access to. And I'm not going to shoot from the hip and say that it's a simple problem with a simple solution. However, I don't think that you can argue that there are, you know, C-suite executives and, and lower at these companies that are making huge salaries while the people that actually make the work and sell the books or, you know, make the books that they're selling are taking home pennies, you know? And like, there's, there's a conversation to be had there where like, you know, um, maybe some of those, those executives when sales are down should take a pay cut rather than cutting the page rate, you know? That's expecting them to care and that's not going to happen. No, and I don't. That's why I say we need a union. Yeah. You need that bargaining power so that the, the creators that are in that big two system at the very least, you know, um, have something to to leverage in those conversations because you can't expect uh, those C-suite executives to do that out of the kindness of their heart. Not going to happen. One of the things you said, Sean, that spread a thought, it reminded me of our conversation with um, Tyler Chintaner where he like talked about how the Wave Blue World business model is is different in how you know you if in order to solve certain things from a um, payment perspective to solve from a uh, scheduling perspective, like how do you how do you find a way to marry all those things and 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 provide some sort of solution? So um, we we talked to him episode one sixty four um, and one eighty eight. He came back and um, on those on uh, those calls in particular, we had talked about how they provide advances for the book. That's what you work live off, and then. Um, once the book is produced and fully realized as a graphic novel, it gets released uh, weekly by issue, then collected at the end of it, and then uh, any incremental made from that goes back to creators. So you kind of provide like a uh, a, a, a securing of the initial um, creator, and then post that you know, you, you get to see dividends that Away Blue World gets. Um, but I think there's I, I think there's a way where that's how um albums in europe work where you know you need to sort of change the model to adjust these things and i wonder if that won't also help address the fact that you can be a bit more efficient with how you provide in advance compared to you know just providing a page rate because i think that that becomes um that gets like too much into the the minutia of um having to pay people out based off the output of work i think if there's like a more standard base rate um, it probably provides like some stability. You can compare, you can say, Hey, this makes sense. Maybe I don't want this. Um, and then it makes it more consistent from a company perspective. You can, you don't have to go, Oh, nickel and dime somebody. You can legit just be like, these are our, these are our standard rates for X amount of work. This is how we're going to be paying out. This is how we're going to work to whatever capacity with you. Um, and ideally that helps address, um, some of the, the payment ends, um, on the creator end. And then ideally doesn't also increase the costs of comics. Um, that's a lot of assumptions there, but I think the other piece is how do you how do you change how do you force a change of of business model for these big for these big two comics um, where because of the way they've worked historically they probably aren't and there there's no incentive for them to cater to the creator and and uh, make their lives better for the work that they output. So two things. One, I think that there's not a terrible uh, dissimilarity between an advance and a page rate. 
if the advance is not significantly higher than the page rate. Because mm. if it's the same amount of money, you're just getting it up front versus later, which doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, and then also, uh, you know, no shade at a wave blue world, but they don't like they have way less overhead and things to worry about. Like, I think we underestimate like Marvel and DC have to justify their existence to their overseers. Like we talked about how DC is in a building that is super expensive that yeah. DC doesn't even need to be in. Yeah. But because they're there, they have to make money enough to justify them even being there. Right. And so we can't even discuss that side of it because we don't know all the details. But what we know about that makes it look like these companies struggle to keep the doors open from that perspective. I think Marvel and DC are probably safe from literally going under, but how they're allowed to operate outside of that danger is anybody's guess. We yeah. literally don't know. And that's why I'm hesitant to jump into that game because we don't have those answers. I mean, to your point though, right? Like why does, why does DC need an office in California then? That's not DC's decision. That's true. But I, but I, I think like that's like, I think that's part of the problem, right? Is like some of those things are worthwhile conversation points of like, okay, yeah, like, do you need this office? Why do we have this overhead? Like, if this overhead could be reinvested in product, you know? I am positive, Pete, that Jim Lee and everybody else have had that thought and shared it in hushed moments in private. Yeah, but. Ultimately, that doesn't matter because they're not in control of that. Um, it's sad. It's unfortunate. I want there to be more money in comics. We all do. Uh, I think, you you know, realistically, you do have to look at the amount of sales that comics generate as well. Um, and that's a determining factor into how much people can be paid. There's a lot of stuff. This is not a um, this is not a small conversation by any means. Mm -hmm. no. uh, but what I would say is you know if you want there to be more money in comics you got to show that through your wallet unfortunately it, it often does come down to the consumer um one last thought i really want to put this out there and then simply move on i want to say that regarding substack i don't think substack is good for the industry i think it is good for the creators who specifically have access to it and that's mm -hmm. it nothing more i don't think it adds money into the hands of creators who are outside of that top tier level. I don't think it ever will. I think it's a, uh, it's, you know, a, a, a game of favorites at that point. And when you are divvying up um, the funds between different people's sub stacks, people are going to start to be more choosy with how they're spending their money. And that actually might have a negative impact on comics overall, not a positive one. Uh, when you get past all the white dudes who got this opportunity. Let's talk quickly about Black Panther. So Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the sequel, of course, to the uh, initial Black Panther film that we got in the olden days of 2018. Um, of course, they're moving on without Chadwick Boseman, which is the saddest thing uh, in the world um, 
But the movie has now added Riri Williams, Rihanna Williams to the cast. Dominique Thorne is playing the character in the Ironheart Disney Plus show, but she is also going to play the character in Wakanda Forever, which uh, will actually drop ahead of her Disney Plus debut. So, oh, hmm. yeah. Okay. What this tells us is that she's likely going to get her armor from Wakanda, not from Tony Stark. That is my initial theory. That is not a fact. Um, so yeah, that's pretty major. <laughs> I almost asked a really dumb question. I was like, do you think she could be Wakanda? And I'm like, no, her name is Riri Williams. <laughs> it's probably not the case. Um, I don't think that's impossible, dude. No, I don't think that's impossible. No. Okay. But I think there's actually a better way to introduce the character and why it makes perfect sense for her to debut in this movie. Remember the part where they opened up the school yeah kids yeah i was about to say yes is she like coming from one of the like embassies that they set up or something she'll be a transplant she'll go do her studies over there like a year of high school or whatever yeah yeah yeah. and and she'll get in the mix that's cool i bet yeah oh my god you know what i yeah that's totally that's totally what's gonna happen like i i bet you anything she's a kid in new york she goes Chicago. to one of those Chicago. Sorry, uh, she goes to to one of those like outreach centers, and they're like, "Oh, she's a fucking genius!" And then now she's like, "Fucking, um, uh, 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 oh my Shuri. god, yeah, yeah." Shuri's like intern or something, or like assistant. Uh, you know, like I could totally fucking see that. And if you guys, for those of you who really know the the origin of Ironheart, you know that the reason. Part of the reason why she does this is because her best friend is actually murdered due to uh, gun violence. She's a uh, uh, oh. she's murdered by a stray bullet. That was like I, the whole reason they set up the things, which is the redemption of Killmonger's uh, character by saying we're not going to lose this one. We, you know, Killmonger is, is is done because of what he grew up dealing with. Riri Williams gets to be saved by Wakanda. She goes there instead of having to stay in Chicago where she could die by a straight bullet or become what she doesn't want to become. I think that's a brilliant story if that's the route they go. I I feel like we just nailed it though, right? Like that makes so much sense. <laughs> All those so. pieces fit together so well. Sean, have you got any phone calls from uh, certain people at Marvel? <laughs> All from here, man. <laughs> uh also, I wanted to take this opportunity to very briefly speak about the uh, "What If" Please. episode that featured uh, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. Um, this was such a such a great episode, and it was a different take on the Black Panther character. Um, he was much T'Challa was much more lighthearted and fun and funny, and you could tell that Chadwick was having such a great time. Yeah, uh, in the role. Uh, I wanted to refer to some comments from Kevin Feige that he shared with Variety in reference to uh, this episode. We didn't know it would be his final performance, obviously. He came in numerous times, was so so gung-ho about it, was so excited about it. He read the episode that airs 24 hours from now and then came back and said, I really love this version of T'Challa. And we had a conversation after that with Ryan about how do we get some of this voice 
none of the storyline, but just some of that voice into Panther 2. Now, of course, it's remarkably sad and bittersweet, but I'm very happy we have it, and I'm very happy he did it for us. And I'm excited for the fans to see that as well. Uh, it's heartbreaking because that episode is so emotional, and they didn't, you know, th- assuming that they didn't change anything, all of that was just how it, it was going to go. I know. Um, but it has such a deeper impact now. And it was so sad to watch. And I realized, you know, once again, what we really lost was a champion. We didn't just lose an actor. You know, in this particular case, we lost someone who was a champion for this character, who was a champion for what Marvel's doing, who was a champion for the diversity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and was a champion for all the young black kids, and not just black kids, kids of all kinds, but, you know, specifically, in this case, black kids, who now get to have this character. Why do you think it was so important for him to do this? This is an animated show, guys. This is an animated show that kids will watch, mm-hmm. and they will see themselves in this character, who's fun. Not a king. Forget that. A fun-loving, space-faring black person. How often do you see that? It's so important. It's so important. And that's why I'm so happy if he had to go that this was the last thing he got to do. Because it's so important that we get this. I wish I had this when I was 10 years old. So thank you again to Chadwick Boseman. We have done that conversation several times, but thank you again. Because this was necessary. It was beautiful. And I'm so sad that this character, that this actor will not get to participate in Black Panther 2. But we go on. And I'm glad that they're that they're not just stopping the, the world of Wakanda. We're going to continue. We're going to have more stories in that space. I love it. Yeah, and I just, you know, the incredible amount of work that <clears throat> Chadwick put in to get us here. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, hats off. And again, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. There have been consistent uh, rumors and speculation from people who don't know what they're talking about, I must say, that there will be no trailer for No Way Home. Uh-huh. And to these people, I say to you, have you ever watched a movie have you ever experienced the 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 preamble and the rollout of a movie of course there's going to be a trailer there's going to be several trailers it's just a movie guys it's not we love it we're super excited it's gonna be great but it's a movie at the end of the day that they have to promote they have to get people excited about and you do that through trailers so uh coupled with this news that kevin feige has guaranteed that there will be a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, of course. Duh. Um, we have the rumor that feels like it's probably fact that a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer will be shown at CinemaCon next week, but it will not be made available to general audiences. Do you guys believe that? No, I, I don't see why they would do that. I feel like they delay it like a day maybe, but I don't I don't see any reason to not not show it after the event that has happened before though plenty of times that's that's yeah that's definitely not a thing that has historical precedent so 
Um, yeah, I think that makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. I think, I mean, Kevin Feige confirming it aside, uh, I feel similarly to Sean in terms of I think it's fucking ridiculous that people are like, we haven't seen it yet, so there's not one coming. I will say the same thing I said the last time we discussed this story. Did you forget that there are two movies that have to come out before it? Right. That's why we haven't seen it yet. It's a very simple solution. And the like trajectory of Hollywood and movies coming out in theaters right now is really murky. And it's like we talked about that last week. There's like a declining confidence in people going out to the movies right now amid the resurgence of the Delta variant. Obviously, children can't get vaccinated. Kids are a huge audience to go to these movies, especially Spider-Man. It's very clear why they're not showing anything right now. There's a million reasons why we haven't seen more of it right now. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if this movie gets delayed. Oh, I was just about to say, you're dreaming if you think this movie comes out in December. Yeah, right? It ain't happening. Right, exactly. Because, like, think about it. I I brought this up last week as well, so I'll say this and kick it to you, Sean, because I want to hear what you think. I think the real, the crazy wrinkle is, too, right? I don't think this movie has the option of doing what Black Widow and, you know, any of the other Marvel movies can, where they can simultaneously release on Disney+. Plus. I don't think Sony's going to let them do that. I don't think that it would even I don't think it would behoove anyone to do that because this is a major this is a big deal. I think that they they did what they did with Black Widow because they needed to get it out and because listen, in my opinion that movie was the sacrifice. Yeah. That was the sacrifice. It was the never going to make a billion dollars. These Spider-Man movies make a billion dollars. Yes, Spider-Man No Way Home is going to release in theaters. And if you ask me right now, Right. Barring any crazy changes in like the world, it will only release in theaters up front. I think that so too. is my belief. I think so, too. And I think they'll push it back a long time before they give up the goat on that one. It's just not going to happen any other way. Sony has no reason to let Disney uh, uh, get all that Disney plus cash. And Disney doesn't have any incentive to share that cash. I could be wrong. This could this could go down differently, but I don't see that happen. Sony just signed a deal with Amazon to release the Hotel Transylvania uh, sequel, the fourth one in that series, through Amazon. They also inked a deal with Netflix to push out some of their stuff through Netflix. I recall you guys had a conversation about this last week. I'm saying this yeah. because of that. Yeah. There is a lane for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I don't think they're going to go down that road. But it's possible. Sure. It's not happening for Spider-Man. No. No fucking way. It, it, it can't. It can't. Like, the fact that it's Disney and Sony's makes it impossible. There's no equitable way for you to split up that money. And also, like, again, to reiterate, the Spider-Man movies make a billion dollars. And I think it's sometimes lost on people what the difference is between a billion and, like, several million it's a lot it's a huge (laughs) difference it's a huge amount of money movies don't make a billion dollars right when they do it's a big fucking deal and spider-man has banked that twice in a row now right i'm right about that they're both a billion dollars not only are you right about that you're also right about the fact that spider-man appearances in movies have also led to billions of a billion plus dollars Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
don't don't think that Civil War does the numbers that it did without Spider-Man. No. Yep. There's a reason that they uh, had him in the first trailer, even though he's in the movie for like 15 minutes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, it's a it's it's a proven uh, uh, cash cow at this point, um, and nobody involved is willing to to trade that. Are you kidding me? No. I, I I we I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but we had read a stat about how. I mean, it might have been on the Suicide Squad book club where about like how um, a review that almost like a little less than 50% of the revenue coming in from one of the movies was attributed to the at home to that, that digital piece. Um, I, I think that if they're trying to go for the most amount of cash grab, knowing that this is a Spider-Man movie, I don't know why they would uh, at this point negate that audience. If they set up whatever connection via uh, Amazon or Netflix, et cetera. I, it, it feels like it's not maximizing the most amount of money. And I I wouldn't peg a company to do that. I don't think you can make that argument though. None of these movies has have made as much money. Right. And so like, how do you squeeze the most out of it knowing that you're not going to make the most out of it on you the wait. theater? So mm. here's the thing. And it, this is something that, I've put a lot of time into the relationship between Sony and Disney is very, very dicey. Okay. And the money that they're sharing by, by kind of like co-parenting the Spider-Man character is set up in such a way that it's very specific. What each side gets a Spider-Man movie will never stream anywhere, but Disney plus a new release. I'm talking about. Why would Disney cut Sony in on the money that they're going to make from Disney Plus? Yeah. Which, by the way, Sony movies, Spider-Man movies that are produced by Marvel, Sony makes so much money off of. So much. And they spend basically nothing. They're not, Disney's not giving them more money Mm. for nothing. They're not going to do it. They're, they're just not. And then you got to ask, well, how long does that deal last? Is it for the entirety of the of the, 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 the premiere access period? Is it half of the money? Could you imagine Disney giving half of their money to Sony when they produced the movie and spent all that money to produce yeah, it? Yeah, they already There's eat no shit. Way. They already eat yeah. shit on making it, you know? Like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm totally with you. I don't think there's any way that they come to an agreement there that's, um, that doesn't leave somebody feeling burned, which means they're not going to agree to it. Yeah. Unless, unless shit really like, unless we're in this pandemic thing for like two more years. Right. Cause like, I do think that there will be a point where you're like, all right, enough's enough. We got to push it out. Right. We got to accept the new, the new normal. Um, but I think that things need to really like, things are going to need to stay bad or get worse for Disney to be willing to be like, fuck it. Everything that I'm saying assumes that there is a time within the next year where confidence grows again in theaters and everything else. And, and I, I think it's so important to say, and this is all this is the last point I have to make. It's so important to say 
that the movies that have released thus far that have underperformed, and I, I, I say underperformed with quotations because we are in a pandemic, so like adjust your, you know, your expectations, right. have not been Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. They're not Spider-Man movies. That's not the same thing. And I think that people are 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 making uh, decisions based on their attending movies based on what the movie is, not just their general comfortability. I know people who would have gone to see uh, Spider-Man if it were in the place of Black Widow at that particular point in time. If you know, that like was if the was- only way I could watch it, I probably would have done it. Yeah, because I, I at that point I was like I want to go see Black Widow in theaters just because you know, but I decided not to because it was more convenient to watch it at home. I think that Spider Man, Batman, Avengers, Superman; those are movies that will motivate people in ways that they're not motivated right now, and you don't want to risk putting something like that out in an uncertain time like we're in. So. Don't expect Spider-Man No Way Home this year, in my opinion, um, and chill out on all the trailer asks. We will get them. They will be coming. CinemaCon looks like it's the target. If you think this can't happen, I'm telling you right now, I saw an Avengers presser sizzle reel way before the first Avengers trailer came out at New York Comic Con. These things do happen. I've seen entire episodes of shows two years before they were out, like at Comic Con. It happens, man. Like, <laughs> uh, speaking of trailers, let's jump into the Eternals trailer. Uh, this is the final trailer that they released for the Eternals film, um, and if you ask me, it is the very best one to date. Ooh. So we're gonna jump into that right now. Here we go. Whoops. Sean, I'm going to ask you to pause it at a certain point. Okay, very good. This trailer it's, was cool. Yeah. I I had I had fun with it. I think it explains a lot more mm-hmm. in terms of like how they fit in. You know, the the immediate question is like, oh, where were the Eternals? Boom! Like in the first item, it's just like it's there, it's out. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this trailer gives you a lot of necessary information about who they are that I really feel like it doesn't ultimately matter, but I think they should have given it uh, earlier. Can we just talk about how much of this dude looks like Sebastian Stan? Sure. He Maybe. definitely does. It's like, I don't know if it's just like, because they're both white dudes, but he looks a lot like him to me. <laughs> they have, yeah, they have very similar characteristics. Like I think facial structure. He, he could have been cast as Winter Soldier if it wasn't for Sebastian Stan. Sure. This trailer shows us some of the actual super heroics that will be happening in the movie instead of the talking, mm-hmm. the standing around chatting, which is pretty cool. Yeah. We get to see some some sorry some deviants uh which we hadn't really seen in prior trailers uh for those of you who are unfamiliar oh, oh sean right there yep yeah, yeah I, I of course okay so that this is this who, marco this so this is perfect right this tied in with the pokemon presents uh announcement earlier this week that is in fact reggie gigas <laughs> i knew that's where you were going buddy i'm so proud of you <laughs> Hilarious. Oh my god. Uh, I was for that. You're actually completely wrong. That is in fact Galactus. No fucking way. I genuinely didn't know. I, I was looking for more purple. Yeah, I mean it it definitely looks like Galactus, right? I mean it's like we've got the the little like ear 
the pointies the little pointy things on the side yeah like i don't know it's it definitely looks like galactus oh 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 i was joking that's not galactus oh you son of a bitch who is it that's in no way shape or form galactus that was a joke based on twitter absolute fools losing oh, their people minds saying into this it? is galactus this is a celestial guys oh duh yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing. When I watched it, I didn't immediately think that, but you saying it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I could kind of see it. But no, that makes a lot more sense given that yeah, we're talking is, about the Eternals. This is a Celestial. Uh, we know based on Guardians of the Galaxy that the Celestials are losing it. This is a story that takes place in the comics as well. They are basically like the Cedars of the Galaxy. They like, you know, um, you know, build these worlds more or less and populate them and the eternals are sent to kind of like oversee and make sure shit goes well they're losing their minds um we saw one in guardians we saw the head of one in um in guardians 2 i think uh nowhere isn't that in the first one as well resides might be don't recall it doesn't matter but it's that's the head of a of a celestial um it looks like we're gonna maybe see one like actually have a role in a movie which would be pretty and huge. correct me if i'm wrong the thing of the eternals is that they they've been created by the celestials right they're directly created by them yes yeah they're like the children of them or whatever yeah exactly um we get to see the celestials doing things like i said this trailer really shows off their personalities more um and i think it was a lot of fun like we see why we need these characters yeah yeah i don't know i i feel like i feel like this is really like giving you a lot more of the personality i love that's that 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 moment right there that shot the of them costume. all lined up yeah that's cool yeah i really dig the costumes and everything in general too um the look of this it's got a good vibe to it oh it's john snow <laughs> i will say um the movie doesn't look like a marvel movie yeah i can you can you elaborate on that because i got a similar vibe and i wasn't sure how to like put it in words yeah for me the color palette is not as bright as marvel movies Mm -hmm. often are um you look at uh i believe his name is icarus and he has he looks like superman right and in the comics his his color scheme is like brighter reds and blues Mm -hmm. here very dulled um and just the tone, the tone of the every shot, even this shot, right? Like it looks more real, dulled color wise. Yeah, I get what um, you mean. Yeah, very neutral. Neutral. Thank um, you. That's a good word. For what's her name? Chloe Zhao is the director, and I feel like I remember her talking about. I feel like I remember seeing like an interview where she was saying that she really wanted to. Um, like bring a different style to it you know like I, I i remember her saying like she's been a long time fan of the mcu but she really wanted to like try to um kind of bring her own like visual voice to it a little bit more so i she certainly did say that she wanted to use practical effects as often as possible right uh, yeah, and, yeah 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 and you can see that it's very clear um a lot of people are turned off by this because it doesn't look like a Marvel movie, it looks. It frankly, I think it looks more like a DC movie. Huh. Interesting. I, I think the the visuals 
for me were attractive like like i i liked the the scenes that they built out the monsters are cool um it looks like i, I think that that neutral comment makes sense but it, it reminded me of some sort of like especially that scene um and some of the space moments like in like an epic fantasy kind of um movie and yeah uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the specific name it's not aragon i don't remember it involves a dragon and some shit but it, I, I, I got like that kind of, you know, larger, more almost Tolkien-y uh, feel from it. Yeah I, yeah, I I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I like I see what you're saying, but I think for me, it's it's definitely not a turnoff. You know, I, yeah. I, I think it's so funny how like it feels like, um, I don't know, like fans are just never happy, right? Because like, what's what's been one of the most consistent like critiques of the MCU the entire? It's got a house style. All the movies look the same, and and this and that, and then now one looks different. We're like, I don't like how this looks different. Well, I don't <laughs> think that those criticisms are coming from the same places. I think that's, that, that's that fair. Most people are probably very happy with what the MCU presents, and those that complain about it are probably really happy with how this looks. Yeah, because by and large, what I have seen is people who are generally down on the MCU or have a lot of critiques seem to really like this. This movie checks all the boxes. It's very diverse. The director is a woman. You know, there's a lot of things that appeal to a certain kind of person about this movie that does that that isn't always present mm. in other Marvel Studios films or just like blockbusters in general. You know, like. Yeah. How many blockbusters have this diverse a cast? Or like how many blockbusters get made in a year that are directed by a woman? Um, not that many. Very few. Yeah, let alone a woman of color. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess I get it, but like, I, I've been excited for this movie because of all those things. Because it's just like, yeah, like it's a different flavor. Like it's different than, than what we've been given before. And that was the same thing I responded to in Loki. Was that it's like, oh, yeah, this has like a style and a personality that mm -hmm. is not in line with everything we've seen. WandaVision had that same energy, you know? Um, it I, seems like they're doing more like f for those kind of uh, those kinds of uh, like shows, the the movies that are coming out. Like I, I can only assume Multiverse of Madness is going to be Buck Wild too. Like, mm -hmm. You know, I think that they're they're at a place where they've got the content down, they've got the audience. Now let's let's try to play with the the way we present the the films, the way that we play with um, lighting, with genre uh, conventions colors. and stuff. Yeah, like you you have free reign for that now. Because I I remember um, in that same interview where she was talking about how it was shot, like I, I believe the quote was she, she said was that she had like Marvel had given her f full freedom to shoot however she wanted, and she tried a lot of kind of experimental shots that haven't really been done in the MCU before. Um, and we saw some of that same conversation around Shang Chi that it's like very or um uh uh, uh that it's like very like like practical. You know, like a lot of it is more practical effects, more you know the the combat is less about CGI superpowers and stuff like that. Like I think that those are like worthwhile experiments to try and expand the house style and what an MCU movie can can be and look like and mean. You know, um, cause yeah, cause like you know. That's like the fun of the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe is super diverse and has a lot of really weird fucking corners. And, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know. I want to see more of that. You know, that that has me juiced. I'll say this. I don't care about 
almost anything other than whether or not the story is good. That's really what I come to all these movies for. And up until this trailer, uh, I wasn't getting anything that added uh, to my excitement, which was very low, um, because it seemed to be focusing on things that didn't have anything to do with the story. Mm. Um, And now that we've got some story, we've got some characters that are actually interesting, I'm on board and I'm excited for this. If this is if this trailer is representative of the movie we're getting, I want to watch this. I'm excited for this. Good. Cool. Nice. I'm glad. So. Yeah, I I'm looking forward to it. It's got a good vibe. November 5th. November 5th. Let's do it. Yes, absolutely. Uh we are going to be going into our main topic. Uh where we have the unfortunate uh responsibility to tell you guys that Jonathan Hickman is done with the X-Men. I got to tell you Sean, a little piece of me just died. So with the news of Substack and Hickman's Substack as Pete we- weeps and wails, uh there were rumors that maybe Hickman would be leaving Marvel, leaving the X-Men. Well, he's not leaving Marvel, but he is leaving the X-Men for the time being. That's the uh, worst so- that's the worst thing. That's awful. Yeah. That's you know- I- I, you know what? Come to think of it, I guess I never really liked Hickman anyway. The like, you know, maybe he's better off if he just leaves. I'm not burnt by it. I'm just saying I don't think he's a good creator. Oof, I can't wait until you leave. Uh, <laughs> Hickman did an exclusive uh, interview with Entertainment Weekly where he broke the news. Um, and he talks about the reason why this happened. And the reason why this happened is is the reason I'm so mad about this. But I'm going to read it first. So he said the following. Oh, plans changed entirely. When I pitched the X-Men story I wanted to do, I pitched a very big, very broad, three-act, three-event narrative, the first of which was House of X. And while this loosely worked as a three-year plan, I told Marvel up front that I honestly had no idea how long the first part would last because there were a lot of interesting ideas that I had seeded that other creators would want to play with. And so we left this rather open-ended. I was also pretty clear with all the writers that came into the office what the initial three-act plan was so no one would be surprised when it was time for that line to pivot. However, I also knew that I was cooking with dynamite and it was very possible that what I had written in House of X and the ideas contained within was not actually the first act of a three-act story, but something that resonated more deeply and working more like Giant Size X-Men, where it would represent a paradigm shift in the entire X-Men line for a prolonged period of time. So, during the pandemic, when the time came for me to start pointing things towards writing the second act event, I asked everyone if they were ready for me to do that, and to a man, everyone wanted to stay in the first act. It was really interesting, because I appreciated that House of X resonated with them to the extent that they didn't want it to end, but the reality was that I knew I would be leaving the line early. Marvel doesn't really pay me to just write ongoing monthly books. There's an expectation for me to write bigger books that have a wider reach than that. In an effort to facilitate both things, we've all spent the last six months or so reorienting the line. Me creating Inferno to assist with that. 
and then bringing in some new writers to add to the existing team and then plan for the next several years of X-Books. So after Inferno, I'll be leaving to go work on my next big Marvel thing. And starting in January, the X-Line will rocket forward, starting with a weekly series that leads into the very cool refocused line of books. Yes, it's taken us a little while to get everything assembled correctly, but the end result, everything that's coming after Inferno is going to be pretty great. That's the extent of Hickman's comments on this. Uh, and I have so much to say. We all have so much to say, but Marco actually has to go soon. So we're going to let him have the floor early to jump in on this conversation. You're I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I really wanted this to be a, a world that Hickman played for like his sandbox for the next three, five, you know, however many years because I think he had a lot of interesting things to say in Hoxpox. Um, stuff that we still haven't even, you know, touched on to this date. And um, I think that leaving that on the table where he, sure, he seeded these, uh, he planted these seeds for other creators or uh, even for himself to explore later. I want to see that grow. I, I, I want to understand how, you know, from his perspective, the mutants will uh, continue to become a stronger nation now they're an intergalactic or well, interplanetary nation you know what what's the next step for them on on that front like how do you how do you stop and and go do something else when bro we just turned the engine on you know like i i feel like mm -hmm. this th this isn't like he said they wanted to still plan the first act we're still in the first act and you know as much as you can plan out the second and third things are going to change and fluctuate from creator to creator that as the person who's, who's driving the X ship will have to you know, pivot and, 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 you know, curb something here and be able to say, no, we actually do this, push this back, whatever. Like if he's not at the helm, I feel like whatever they lay out won't be as it, it won't be the story that Hickman might've wanted to tell. Again, that's an, that's an assumption, but I think, you know, him leaving this early on leaves a lot of room for error from the overall narrative that he first started in Hoxbox. And that has me a bit worried. Um, I, I genuinely thought that, you know, his, his leaving might lead to a, oh, you know, status quo is reshifting, Bakakoa, you know, whatever, Scarlet Witch now is going to destroy the mutants again and whatever the fuck. Um, I'm glad it's not that. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the rest of Inferno um, to seeing what his i guess goodbye event has to say and that will that will paint my um my hope for the x line moving forward because based off that I, i'll be able to i'll be able to say okay cool this is new territory that i'm very interested in um or this is new territory that i think i need um hickman's hand to guide me through because maybe it wasn't as crafted as strongly as i thought about hoxpox um so for me this is you know, worrying from the current big Marvel thing, which is the X Men. Um, kudos to him for for being the the idea guy right now, because um, my dude has ideas. But I want him to finish this, and I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to get that. I'm sure there's going to be crossovers. I'm sure he'll consult. I'm sure he'll be involved to some capacity. But for his focus not to be this, I'm bummed. So I. 100% agree with everything that that you just laid out Marco. I think the only thing that I wanted to add um specifically before you jump was that it's 
weird because I feel like how much we liked Hoxpox and how much um, and I know you and I have vocally uh, since the beginning been saying like I don't want to see a snapback I want to see this go to as far as it can go and blah 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 I think that that desire is actually what ruined things because if mm. you if you look the this quote was interesting to me that Sean Reddy said uh, and this is talking about the book he said uh, it was not actually the first act of a three act story but something that resonated more deeply and worked more like giant size X-Men where it would represent a paradigm shift in the entire X-Men line for a prolonged period of time and that's exactly what we asked for and what we we said we wanted and I think because of that we don't get Hickman's story because mm. they want to oh. extend Krakoa and they want to make Krakoa a status quo in its own way so that when we look back on this era of X-Men at some point, it'll be like, oh, yeah, remember those several years when Krakoa was what was going on with X-Men? Or maybe that's the future of the X-Men forever. Who's to say, right? We don't know. Um, but it would have been a three-act play that we would have seen play out, and it would have ended probably with a snapback to some kind of status quo. Sure. But instead... We, we, got get what we, we get to live in it in a bit more. Yeah, and yeah. for better and worse, I guess. Because I don't know how good a thing that is if Hickman's not there to steer the ship. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And you know what? We could have done without Marauders, so. <laughs> all right, thank you, Marco. Appreciate you, man, uh, for those comments and all others. Plug your social before you get the hell out of here. At Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about oh anime. Yo, I've been I've been catching up on Haikyuu season four right now. That shit was hot fire. I sat through like I was I was working. Air quotes there because like that shit was awesome. I was engrossed. I finished the entire third season in like a week. Um, the best one of the best animes that I've seen uh, in a in quite a while. Um, and I'm excited that that I need to catch up on like seven seasons so i'm very excited okay goodbye bye bud goodbye have fun at your wedding. channel no no never i'll never do that all right uh so with marco gone i will share my thoughts i think this is really bad i think this is really 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 bad i think that um they're making a big mistake letting hickman go do something else because um this isn't going to work like every other X-Men book other than the ones written by Hickman have been, you know, all right with problems. Everything Hickman has done has been great. Mm -hmm. His parts are awesome. Everybody else's parts are where I have problems. And now we're only going to have those parts because he's gone because the problem of comics that everybody says is a problem that they don't change is now preventing us from getting change. Everybody who complains about comics not changing is responsible for this because now they can't, now they're stuck. Now the X-Men are stuck on Krakoa and they're going to be telling whatever crappy story. This is exactly what I was worried about. I was worried that the Krakoan era would be a thing that would be um, like anything else, a status quo. That gets stale and it gets stale faster when you don't have the confidence in the creative team to pull it off. You look at Hickman's run on Avengers. There are people who don't like it. 
I really love it. It lasted for, um, I want to say three years. I want to say about three years. Okay. And it was awesome because it was one track. That was his story from beginning to end. There were no other writers part of it, really. I think he had a co-writer on Avengers, uh, Avengers World, uh, but that's about it. It was Hickman. Now we're getting Hickman's general idea without him. What's the point? This is crazy. And my interpretation is that he's not gone forever. This is a read. This is a hard read. My interpretation is he's not gone forever. He's gone while they do the small stuff. He's gone while they play in the sandbox that he created. Yeah. And when they're ready to push things forward, they'll come back to do act two and three. I think you're right about that. And and I, I don't I don't you're right, I guess, to say that it's a hard read because there's nothing here to confirm that. But I also don't think it's that much of a hard read when you read between the lines. Right, because right. because the other quote that you you pulled out here that he said was Marvel doesn't really pay me to just write ongoing monthly books. There's an expectation for me to write bigger books that have a wider reach than that. Right. So okay. So Act Two of this the be- the ending of Act One, the beginning of Act Two. That's an event book. That's a House and Powers level uh, dynamic shift in the world. Right. Fair play. That makes sense. Right. Like I that, okay. But like to your a point you made earlier and one that I completely agree with, the the supporting books in the Krakoan era are not as good as the peaks of of the mainline stuff. And the mainline stuff that has been the most important and and trend setting and, you know, memorable and, and incredible has all been Hickman's work. And that's not to denigrate any of the other writers or creators that are involved. Um, a lot of those books have been fun and been a good time. I'm not trying to, to talk shit about them. We love the X-Men here, and we've been we've been big fans of Krakoa. Um, but those books feel more like monthly superhero books. They feel more like they're, yeah, they're good, but they're not they're they're not essential. You know, if you if yeah. you're if you're not reading, you know, um, every one of the the X-Men tie-in books. That's okay. You're not missing that much. Whereas, like, when House and Powers were out, anybody who was asking me, what's the best comic right now? What do I have to be reading? I was like, you got to be reading X-Men. And I feel like it's not like that anymore. You know, it's it's kind of just, we've to your point, we've, we've hit a status quo. Um, and as somebody who definitely was vocal about wanting to see Krakoa play out for a long time, I mean... Hickman said he had an original three-year plan. To me, three years is long enough. That would have been good. I would have been happy to have seen it play out over three years, even if it resulted in a snapback. I might have lamented that it didn't last longer at the time, but uh, if you're asking me now, in the, the afterglow of this announcement, I would rather take that. Of course. You know? How much more time do you need? Three years is great that's long you know that's, that's like that's yeah. half the length of the time we've done this show like you know <laughs> yeah this is nuts and there was a what i thought was a pretty uh good bleeding cool article uh written by uh jude terror um and it's uh it's called on the illusion of change and jonathan hickman leaving the x-men 
And he, he, he brings up a quote from Alan Moore. You see, somewhere along the line, one of the newer breed of Marvel editors had come up with one of those incredibly snappy sounding and utterly stupid little pieces of folk wisdom that some editors seem to like pulling out of the hat from time to time. Readers don't want change. Readers only want the illusion of change. As I said, it sounds perceptive and well-reasoned on first listening. It is also, in my opinion, one of the most uh, specious and retarded theories that has ever been my misfortune to come across. This is from 1983. Excuse the language. It's just a different time. Um, he was writing this about the state of Marvel in 1983. So the writer of this article, Jude, brings up how in comics, when there is a moment of change, when there is a paradigm shift, there is often also an equal pushback of anti-change that stifles the change and retcons it or keeps it in stasis and makes it status quo just like anything else. A perfect example of that is Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men. At the time, Grant Morrison's New X-Men was this. It was Krakoa. But he, or they, I'm sorry, they were the only creator on the writer's side who was responsible for the stories. It was revolutionary. It was giant-sized X-Men for the 2010, or for the, for the 2000s. Unfortunately, Grant's work was immediately upended by Marvel as soon as they left. Instantly. It, it took no time. They went right back to normal. Why? In part because, A, fans were, want, there was a contingent of fans, I should say, who wanted the old stories back, right? And also, no one can do what Grant does. So Marvel, in their infinite wisdom, said, let's just retcon it all. That was a story that took place, and Grant's gone, so it's over, and we're moving forward. That sucks. It sucks as a reader because it negates your investment. And, and yeah, you could argue, yeah, but you got the story. Okay, you got the story, but Marvel stories are not, they don't exist in a bubble. They, they, they continue, right? Uh, so if every time that a new writer comes on board, they just negate what happened before that, that is not a continuing story. That's a bummer. Can Let me yeah, yeah, yeah. make a counterpoint there, I guess, though. Um, and I don't necessarily even agree with this, but uh, just to further the conversation, could you make the argument that that is kind of what's happening here, though, right? Like, because when you think about it, if Krakoa was just a three-year storyline and then we snap back to the mutants being as they've historically been, that's kind of what you're talking about in a way, right? Of like, and I guess maybe it didn't have to snap back, right? It could have just ended and then there's a new... It continues from there, right? Um, but I don't know. The idea of, like, the X-Men going back to Westchester and the mansion and all that shit now, right? Like, feels kind of quaint um, in a weird way because they seeded a planet, you know? Like, they, like, they're on a whole other level now. And the idea of, like, okay, maybe we, like, this is what the X-Men are now, right? At least for now, for this era. And maybe at some point that changes again. Um, but I don't know, like... It, I, I don't know. There's like a push and pull of those two arguments here, I feel like, in a way. I understand what you're saying. So here's the thing. First of all, we don't know how Hickman planned to end his run. Grant's run ended in a very specific way that you certainly could have had a new writer come in and follow up right. on the story without upending 
what they did. Mm-hmm. Hickman's story is being cut off at the legs. Yeah. He didn't even finish. He even finish. He's not even done. Act two hasn't. We didn't even get through act one. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> that's outrageous to me. And you know, it, again, if Hickman's going to in a year or whatever come back and do the next story, fine. But what are we going to be living in in the meantime? This validates. It could validate the concerns of uh, fans who say that this era of Krakoa is boring and goes nowhere. Because guess what? Outside of a few standout moments, it kind of has gone nowhere. If we have to admit that yeah. the, the major set pieces were House and Powers, Hickman's X-Men, Ten of Swords, which was a bust, in my opinion. Agreed. And uh, the Hellfire Gala, which was fun and we liked it, but the biggest thing that happened there was the planetary, uh, the, the the you know the, the terraforming of Mars, which was cool, but didn't drive the story forward. Nothing has happened since that took place. No- nothing seismic has occurred as a direct result of that action yeah everything yeah, right. always feels like it's in stasis with the x books and now without hickman what the hell are we looking at yeah and that 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 is a good point and i definitely agree with that we're like those those moments are big and are significant but there's a lot of in between you know and the, those long stretches have not been as rewarding you know and and not at all and i don't know maybe again to play devil's advocate maybe there's the argument to be made that um if we just know that hickman's going away for a while and we're and we say hey every every book that's open right now and every book that we launch or whatever you've got another you know 12 or plus issues right so like let's figure out where those arcs go and, and, you know, you can move things forward, but these are the things you're not allowed to do because that's what we are. That's what we're going towards an act. You know what I mean? Like we still have that, that we're building towards and we just give the rest of these, these creative teams that have chops, right? Um, more room to breathe that maybe we'll get better stories because they won't all feel like they need to, you know, start and stop based on what Hickman's doing. Um, but but that's a big if. But even then, you run into the problem if if these creators, you know, you're not really giving them freedom in your example because they have to adhere ultimately to where Hickman is going to go. So you can't just kill Wolverine in some permanent type of way if Hickman needs him later. You can't. There's certain stuff you can't. You still cannot do. And yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, but you could argue that there's like the ability to collaborate and create workarounds for some of those things. Because like I think about um, Tyler brought this up on the uh, the reviews we did for for last week's books on Thursday um, about how apparently Leo Williams, the trial of Magneto storyline was originally what um, had been planned for uh, uh, X Factor. And that that was gonna that storyline was gonna play out there, and then they decided to pull it out and make it this event and and pivot it in certain ways or whatever, um, because they thought that it had juice, you know. So like, I'm wondering if there isn't the ability for them to maybe get that X Men brain trust, 
you know, to conversate and have some dialogues about like, you know, what are what are the big things we need to avoid and otherwise you're able to go in whatever road whatever direction you need to and then at this point that we've agreed on we're going to meet again and have a conversation about how we drive you know drive some of those things back inward if we need to but That's i mean the exact same scenario they're in yeah but if you have a longer uh road maybe like there's you know i don't know i'm grasping at straws here and that you know it it's I share your concerns. <laughs> I think that the idea, this is this is just me, the idea that Marvel is allowing the X-Men brain trust, as it were, to go away from Hickman's strategy that has worked this entire time because they're having fun <laughs> is bullshit. And we always talk about creator control and they should have say in what they get to do or stuff like that. This is, in my opinion, a negative example of that. I personally don't care about the fun of the creators more than I care about the story being good and being what we were promised. This is not what we were promised. Jonathan Hickman has been consistently saying we were going to get a certain thing the entire time, and now we're not because the other people who were the tagalongs are having too much fun. I love all those creators. This has nothing to do with them as people or their work. I'm strictly talking about what we were promised versus what we're getting. Yeah, and again, right? Like it's it's absolutely not to denigrate any of these books. We've liked a lot of them, you know. Um, that's not the issue, right? The thing is, like, there, I would take all those books and bin them and 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 throw them into the the multiverse if we had another book that I liked as much as I liked House and Powers. Is the thing, you know? And again, I mean that like with no shade. House and Powers, I th- I thought was a ten out of ten. And if all these books are sevens and eights, that's great. But like, it's not the same as an all-time classic. You know what I mean? It's also a a paradigm shift. Of course, you're going to like it more. It's something that upends everything versus something that keeps the status quo. Right now, we're basically saying we prefer the status quo as it is to what would have been another paradigm shift. Yeah. Why in the world would you actively choose to not get the next chapter in the Jonathan Hickman story. As a fan, as a writer, as the creators, I get it. They, of course, have their own autonomy and they want to do what they want. They got stories they want to tell, right. Exactly. And Hickman's stuff could actually make their stuff not tellable anymore, right? So I get it. But as a fan, why would you want that? I don't don't know... uh, I don't know how we're supposed to feel. I feel frustrated and I'm looking forward to Inferno, but now I have a sense of dread about it because I know that once this book comes out, that's it. And we're going to get into whatever the story is that the rest of the writers feel like telling to be Frank. I'm not as interested in a Krakoa verse. If the spearheaders are Jerry Duggan and Sizeburger. Yeah. Not. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say, you know? Because, um, I mean, it was Hickman's work that was the the thing that got me on the hook. 
Right. You know? And it's his story. Yeah. That's the key factor. Who like it, it could be any writer. It, it doesn't matter who it is. It's not about them. It's about him. It's about Hickman. Hickman's story is the Krakoa story. These people came in after the fact and they're telling their stories that uh, add color and flavor. But when you're looking for the driver, you're looking for what Hickman is doing. So no one can tell Hickman's story better than Hickman. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you there. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that's up for debate at all. I guess, I guess my hope is that there's still room for, you know, um, good and interesting stories to be told in this, in this chapter, in this era before we, you know, get back to it at some point. But I am worried because it's also like Hickman was ready to leave Marvel until he got to do this. And now he has to just go back and work on events again and it's just like ah, that, that sucks did leave marvel right and so it's like you know he he i don't know that's uh that's probably not great yeah and you know i'm sure there will be fun stories i'm sure there will be stuff that we're like wow that was really cool um i'm worried about the future of the Xbox. we just did a story about uh money in comics and if you think Marvel won't pull the plug, if the sales start to slip because the planned you know, idea is not present anymore, if you think they won't pull the plug, you're wrong. And there's no guarantee that Hickman will still be available to do what he was going to do whenever Marvel comes calling for that. Yeah, years from now. We don't know. We don't know his contract situation. We don't know what he is slated to do, what the next big thing is. We have no idea. And I just don't think this was this was smart. And it's not Hickman's fault. Don't blame him. Um, it's unfortunate. But we'll see what happens. We know we have Inferno left to go. So I'm going to choose to um, look forward to that. And just try to be hopeful about the future. I'm expressing to you guys my frustrations with the the, the announcement as it is right now. Yeah, you don't know anything else. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm not trying to be down on it or or assume that it's going to be bad because there's a lot of talent left in that pool, and there's a we could absolutely have uh, these concerns be proven to be unfounded. You know, um, but on its face, uh, not news that I'm I'm happy to hear. By any stretch of the imagination. We know that uh, a lot of you have responded in the affirmative to our conversations about the X-Men. Our reviews, you know, our speculations, etc., etc. It's really important to me right now to know what you guys think about this. Are you still on the hook? I, I remember conversations in our Discord where people said that other than Hickman and then like whether it was Wolverine or whether it was New Mutants, maybe they were reading one of the other books. But they were generally not that enthused about the state of X-Men. With the news that Hickman is gone, are you still interested? Do you still care? Or will you continue to buy the books when he's not a part of them? Write in and let us know. This is one of those times where I really, really, really want the fan interaction, want the, want the listener um, interaction because – you know, the X-Men is where we live and breathe on this podcast in a lot of ways. So um, we want to share this moment, whether it's a positive or negative, uh, with you guys. So write in, let us know your thoughts, hit us at the comments, files at gmail.com. 
Leave us a follow, a rating, a review, wherever you're listening. If that's YouTube, subscribe for free, like the video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment, hit the notification bell. All that stuff's free. Helps us out a lot. Uh, Listen to all the content we're putting out. We're doing a ton of work for you guys. We've got the reviews that drop Wednesdays and Thursdays, Image and Marvel DC, everything else. We're reviewing what if you guys responded when we put out the call to see if you guys were interested in the weekly reviews. So we're doing those. Uh, We've got book clubs on deck, past, present, future. The upcoming one is Maximum Carnage. The prior one is Suicide Squad by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Lots of great stuff. We hope you like it. Pete, plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about uh, your hopes and fears for the future of the X-Men. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can go check out uh, my other uh, my video game podcast. Uh, head to flipscreen.games. It's a website. We've got links to all the shows and stuff. Go check them out. Um, and then uh, you can go check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, uh, wherever you get your music. We are serving up some hot punk rock for you. So go check it out. As for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Like I said, just came back from Puerto Rico, so I am feeling pretty good. Uh, and I can't wait to get caught up on all the books I missed and uh, you know, talk to you guys about what you're enjoying. So with that being said, we're in the comments file side. Take care, guys. See you next week. <laughs>